You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. everybody this is Victoria your dog guru and today we are talking about therapy dogs so there is a big difference between a therapy dog and a dog that you will see in like a supermarket assisting somebody those are service dogs um, and then there's the difference there's a difference between those and uh, emotional support animals emotional support animals have to be allowed to travel and live in the same residence as the owner that requires them um, but they do not have free reign privileges where a service dog would. They don't have general access, um, public access rights. So that's a little different. Now, a therapy dog has, uh, has the ability to go anywhere where therapy dogs are permitted. Um, usually you'll see them in hospitals or children's organizations, um, elderly homes, things like that. You can also find them in schools for therapeutic programs, uh, special needs things like that. Um, they're one. They're a wonderful tool, and the reason I wanted to talk about them is because they have many, many, many. They wear many hats. Um, you know, they are a companion to their owners, but they also serve a very public purpose. And I once had an owner ask me, okay, so why doesn't that count as service work? Well, there's a few reasons. First of all, the owner doesn't actually have a disability. That's the first reason, probably the most significant reason. Um, the dog is actually not performing a service for the individual that owns it and or, you know, someone else in the home. So it doesn't qualify for a service uh, for a service job, you know, that doesn't mean they wouldn't be willing and, um, very motivated to make their owners happy and engage with their owners. But just suffice to say that generally speaking, you know, they're not tasking like a service dog would. So what are the values that you would see in a therapy dog? So I just talked about some of the environments you would see them in. One of my goals with my service dog is actually to have him as a dual purpose dog. And I would love to bring him to a therapeutic environment like a children's hospital is one of my goals. Um, you know, and for me as a trainer and somebody who works very closely with behavior, it's a challenge because I'm going through all the normal stages that any owner will go through when they're facing training. And we're going to talk a little bit about what the training for therapy work needs to look like because there to me is a standard and there are organizations that actually require certain, um, certain manners to be learned and certain behaviors to certain things and stimuli to not affect the dog. So we'll talk about some of that. Um, it can sometimes be parallel, um, in, in, in obedience format when it comes to service work. It's just, like I said, there, the owner doesn't have a disability and the dog isn't tasking for an individual. So that's, that's different. And they don't have public access. Now the places I mentioned are public, but without permission from those places and without an organization or a program in place, they're not just allowed to go into any elderly facility. It has to be something that's been approved. So keep that in mind. You can't just waltz in with your dog, even if they're really well-mannered. Um, please get permission first. If they have a program, you'll have to go through the appropriate steps. Sometimes they even have a trainer that they work with. 
Um, but you know, I, I see tremendous value. I had a mother who had Alzheimer's and dementia and they had a weekly dog program. Even when I was very young, I remember seeing the dogs, uh, come in and visit her. And, um, I used to bring my little parakeet to her and it would just change her day. It would open her up and she was kind of nonverbal. And then she would have her lucid moments where she was super verbal and very responsive. And so we never knew what kind of mood we were in with her or what we were going to catch her in. Um, there were days where she wouldn't recognize me, but by God, she always remembered who that dog was when it came through the door. And so I see the value in connecting and animals in a very unique way, have a non-invasive way of getting right in your space and disarming us in a way that we need to be disarmed, connected with. And I've talked about this throughout my podcast with both the guests we've had and individually. And, you know, taking it to a more personal note, I use my dogs for therapy. You know, they serve a therapeutic purpose for me. And so, and I think for any owner, when they have a really bad day or a rough day at work, it, it can be true for any of them. So now we have to talk about some of the differences. Why, what's the difference between, say, basic obedience, which is your, you know, sit down, fight a, stop this, you know, that sort of stuff versus what they need to be prepared to do in a therapeutic environment where either children are reading to them, which is a program in many schools, or, you know, they're visiting the elderly or they're going to um, a learning outreach. I've even seen them go to um, trauma centers or if a huge... Um, event, a catastrophic event hits or something very, um, traumatic happens within the community. Service dogs, I mean, um, therapy dogs are often the ones who are called out. So, you know, they'll call out therapy dogs to go ahead and offer that emotional connection to people in a dark moment to help calm them down, to help restore their faith, to help them be more verbal, to help them be more present. There are so many purpose there there's so many purposes that a therapy dog can serve. And even though they don't have a service dog title, they definitely are valuable. They're as valuable as a service dog. They just don't have they're not a medical device. And you'll hear me circling back to things like that because I think the distinction has been overgeneralized. It needs to be distinct. I'm sorry, if you don't need a service animal, you shouldn't be calling your dog a service dog because you want them to come in a store with you. That's not how this works. In fact, I can tell you as somebody who is in the process of training a uh, replacement service dog for my elderly service dog, it's a hard road. And there are lots and lots of um, peaks and valleys and you have to take it in stride. So to trivialize it and say, well, my dog's well behaved, I'm just going to have him in the store. Your dog doesn't need to be in the store. You don't need the dog to be in the store with you. And it makes it that much harder for people like me who have a dog in training who is not yet perfect and isn't ready for public access, yet I have a need for the dog and I haven't had an opportunity to build him up because there are a lot of people coming into these places where I would be training him. That could trigger him. And until he's solid and, and we're solid as a team, I'm not going to open myself up to what I know is only going to be disastrous. So now, um, that, 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 that's my two cents on that. Um, talking more about therapy dogs and the training that's required. I think it's standard, um, that any dog that 
you intend to use for therapy work has a solid understanding of basic obedience. And the way I used to define understanding of a cue or a series of cues like basic obedience is kind of an all-encompassing term is I would ask an owner, will your dog do it, you know, a sit when they're excited or stressed? And if the answer was no, or there was a pause, then I would say, well, then they don't know it well enough because a dog should be able to perform any cue under any circumstance. Now they're not robots. I mean, sometimes you have to remind them or sometimes they'll make a mistake and you have to guide them in the right direction. They, they aren't meant to be machines, but it should be so ritualized that it's second, you know, second nature. Unique to therapy dogs, based on environment, you have to get them used to things like if they were going to be read to, then it would be good if they were used to hearing books drop on the floor or having even a light book fall on them by accident. Not to like encourage, obviously, any sort of danger to your dog, but you know, from a distance of like six inches to your dog's um, general vicinity within you know his sphere would be a good experience because realistically kids drop things and they run around and they make loud sounds. So, um, making loud sounds and running around and jumping, doing exactly what they would expect to see in the environment you are going to run into. If you're going to run into canes, get used to dropping canes around the dog. If you, if they're, if they're going to be around people where it's just a loud environment or there's going to be breathing machines or anything like that, uh, then, you know, we're talking, we're talking uh, a whole different deal. We're talking, you know, they need to be used to the sounds of medical devices. They need to be used to being in, you know, tighter spaces because, you know, hospital rooms can be rather tight and tiny. So there's lots of prep work that, that can go into therapy work. And there are several organizations, some of which I will note in the show notes of where you can get started. But a great place to start is looking, um, go ahead and Google the Delta Society. I use that as my framework for therapy dogs. It's an excellent standard. The dogs need to be solid on all of those things. So if you're interested in therapy work, look up the Delta Society because that's going to be your first step. If your dog can do all of those things regardless of environment, you're really starting off on the right foot. And even if they do require that you go through the training, you'll be ready if you have mastered those, those tasks. Your dog needs to be comfortable being around all different types of people with different types of energy, personalities. You know, there are going to be people who are really loud. There are going to be people who uh, grab things. Children grab things all the time, so they have to be desensitized to their tails being touched and their feet being grabbed and their ears being messed with. So these are all things that you need to be considering when you're going down the therapy dog road. And I will tell you, just like, you know, as is the case with a service animal, not all dogs are suited for the work. It's a lot of mental work. If you have a dog that's generally, you know, kind of low key and loves to be loved on, you're starting mentally in a good place. But the training is that. It's a lot of training. It's a lot of reinforcement. And some therapy dog teams that I've worked with in my time uh, will wait up to an entire year or two before they go ahead and test. And you don't need to test to be a therapy dog team. Uh, it, it does depend. Certain states have outlines of what needs to be learned and, you know, in what context to so do your research in your local area. Because uh, you definitely don't want to be stepping on any toes or sending the wrong message or not going through the appropriate steps. But Triggers are really important. Metallic sounds, anything that's metal, loud music, um, ranting. I hate to say if you're going to an elderly facility, sometimes, you know, as 
if they're if they're older, you, you don't know what kind of mood you're going to catch them in and the dog could be scared by them, you know, being really loud. So these are all things that you need to be mindful of. And then one thing you really need to do is be sure as a team you have a connection and when your dog is starting to get stressed out, you don't continue subjecting them to the stress. You work on the behavior at home. Whatever was the trigger, if it's a loud person, if it's somebody getting too close to their space, if it's them getting claustrophobic, whatever it is, you work on that not there. Okay? If you see your dog getting overloaded, you don't subject them to it further because that's when fears start coming into play. You go ahead and take them, you abandon the behavior, you know, end things on a good note as well as you can. Get them to do something simple, even if it's just give you eye contact and end the exercise and go home. I wouldn't even touch it again that day. And then the next day, focus on the things that put him in him or her into that state of mind. What was it that stressed him out? And try and recreate it or parts of it. You know, if it was someone who was running down a hallway, it could have been the running. It could have been the sound of the the loud footsteps. It could have been if they were, if the dog thought they were being run at. So, you know, and you do things in small segments that are palatable because the dog already knows they can trust you, which is why you have to be strong as a team first. I think the most important step right now, if you're interested in doing therapy work with your dog, is start desensitizing them to literally anything that they're stressed out about now. Because if those are triggers here and now, they're definitely going to be amplified in an environment they can't control and you can't control. And you certainly can't control things in a public space. That's what makes the task of a service animal so much more difficult. But that same weight falls upon the same the dog that you know does therapy work because they can't act out of turn. You know, if you see your dog get you know freezing and their eyes are you know not moving around and you're seeing the whites of their eyes but they're not really blinking and they're licking these are all signs of stress so when you see those things your dog doesn't want to be there anymore and you don't want to misread the situation and continue to subject them to it because to me that's emotional abuse to the dog um not all dogs want to be service dogs not all dogs want to be therapy dogs not all dogs want to be handled you know some dogs they just like they like to check in with you kind of like cats i've seen dogs that are that independent um, it's kind of atypical, but you have to uh, take into consideration the individual you have, not the dog that you want them to be. You know, you can, any dog can be well-mannered in my opinion. Um, but not every dog can be a therapy dog. That's for sure. Um, and then, you know, it might be that your dog isn't suited to work around small children, but they do really well in an elderly facility, or maybe, you know, you'd like to take them to expose college students to what therapy work involves, um, there's lots of, there are many facts, or if you want to be a trauma crisis team, you know, those exist and you just have to look and reach out in your local communities. Every community is different. Uh, the resources vary widely. I think there, we're bringing more and more awareness to therapy work, just like service work and, um, ESAs, but there are vast differences between the three. And I definitely encourage you to check out the image that I'm including in today's episode, because I want you to be aware. I don't want you to fall into the gray area and I want you to be able to educate other people. Should they ask, you know, your dog won't be vested saying service dog. It, you know, there are therapy dogs, uh, therapy dog vests, which just means that the dog is here to help. You know, that's a different thing. And um, I actually had one therapy dog team and they had a patch that said, you know, it, it was a picture of a small child in a book and it said, you know, reading team, reading squad or something like that. So, you know, everything is going to take 
time when it comes to training a dog. It's like raising a child. Um, and, and it does take some input and outside input sometimes when you're talking about triggers. It may trigger you to work with the dog. You have to be honest about your limitations. But therapy work is one of those things where I would never encourage somebody to send a dog away to equip them for therapy work long term. The owner has to get involved. You have to be involved because you're going to be the one managing a problem if it crops up, which it inevitably will, given the, given the complexity uh, and the foreignness of the environment itself. I mean, you can only expect that there's going to be some day that you hit a red light and feel like, uh-oh, well, I don't know how to handle this. Well, you know, working with a professional trainer might help you answer those questions. What is that going to look like? But first you need to ascertain if your dog has triggers. Um, and triggers to me aren't always an aggressive response. Does your dog shy away from certain things? Are they afraid of the vacuum or the blender? These are all things that you, you may not be thinking about, but desensitizing them and teaching them how to get desensitized by making it a palatable experience instead of just throwing them in the mix of it and expecting them to deal with it, that's the difference. That's how you start neutralizing triggers, which is what we talk so much about. And if this is the first time you've ever listened to Ask Your Dog Guru, I'm glad you're joining us. But I encourage you to listen through earlier episodes where we talk about teaching your dog how to calm down, how to be you know, relaxed in their own mind, how to um, not use you or other things as a crutch. You really want resolution. You do want to fill in holes. You don't want to cover them up. You don't, you don't want to put a Band-Aid on the situation because then sooner or later it's going to fall off and you're just realizing the problem's bigger now. So mean, be mindful of who your dog is, but if you think that they're kind of a laid-back personality or they just love people, um, you know, think golden retriever personality. And, and not necessarily that energy level, but, you know, does your dog like engaging with strangers? Are they, do they like people, you know, being all over them? Do they love children? Do they love... Uh, comforting you when you're sad because if if they meet that criteria they might very well make a fantastic therapy dog even better if you've already got them to the point where you know in the training process they're listening well I also don't want people to get discouraged if your dog does start showing signs of withdrawal or um, you know aversion initially because you are going to be cycling through different triggers it's normal for them not to love the idea of being bumped into gently or a loud sound or someone getting loud around them. So it, it's normal if they're not initially receptive. It's how you work through it together. And like I said, I encourage you to uh, work with a trainer if you if this is all new territory for you, which it probably is if you're listening to this still, um, you know, then then reach out, get somebody who's done this before. So this way you have the security of knowing that you're covering your bases. Um, also, I think it's a good thing for people to have a, a professional to have eyes on the situation because you never know as an owner what you're missing, but a professional is going to key into the things that you for sure are going to run into things that I mentioned that you might not have thought of. There are more things that'll, that'll fit those categories and it gets more and more specific depending on what you want to do. If you want to be in all of the environments I mentioned, your dog has to be really well read. And that's probably going to be every bit of a year long training process, unless they're already starting in a really good headspace. Uh, in which case, you know, you can go as fast as you want and it depends on them. But that all said, you know, you have to give them mental breaks. I liked to, when I was doing therapy 
work with one of my dogs. I like to vest him and it's just as therapy work. He didn't, he wasn't a service dog. Um, but then he knew when he had to be on his absolute best behavior, he also got excited. He had a really good association with the vest. Um, and then I would take it off when we were, when we were in the car. So this way he knew he could kind of let his hair down and, and decompress. I think decompressing is very important for dogs. I think it's important for us as humans. You know, at the end of the day, when you get into your pajamas, um, you just want to relax and, you know, maybe watch TV and have a good dinner. Your dog needs to decompress. So this is like loosening the tie at the end of the day. As far as frequency of training, I would encourage you to work on triggers, desensitizing, getting solid stays and exposure exercises throughout your entire day. Unlike other things where I'm like, you know, 10 minutes, um, a couple times a day is enough. This is something where you're going to want to work it throughout your day, even if you're only going to be at one of these um, facilities for an hour. You know, it's going to take weeks of working on it throughout your day whenever you have access to your dog for them to be ready for it. And then you'll know when they're ready because when you don't have to question how they'll respond, that's when they're ready. And a lot of times that's why they have programs where trainers will actually take you and they'll they'll bring in walkers and wheelchairs and things like that and start getting the dogs familiar with the things that they'll be exposed to and gauging their response. They don't have to be bulletproof. Um, and they certainly, in my view, I've never seen a therapy dog operate necessarily to the level of a service animal um, on the bomb-proof front, which I hate saying when it comes to animals because they're free radicals and they react like animals. But generally speaking, you know, it's a little bit more lax. They don't have to be militant. They just have to be very well-behaved and they have to be okay with people being invasive. So those are things that I would focus on first. And then if you have any questions, you can email me directly at you at gmail.com. You can also donate to the show at paypal.me forward slash your dog guru. And if you haven't already, please join our group on Facebook. It's dog guru hounds. So you can just search us up on Facebook dog guru. Well, honestly, if you're already part of the dog guru Facebook page, I think there's a link there, but, uh, if you're in your group section, go ahead and search up dog guru hounds. Super easy to find. Join us there. We talk about things from the show. I find listener questions. Uh, we do threads like that. So go ahead and get involved and join us there. And you can also find a link to our merchandise. I am currently reaching out to all of our listeners now. Any suggestions you have on either um, phrases that you like from the show or um, ideas that you have for shirts, please let me know and I will try and bring them to life. In the meantime, if you have any questions that you have about your dogs or a friend's dog or a neighbor's dog or a family member's dog or just a stressful situation you're dealing with uh, with Fido and you don't know where to turn, please turn to me. Again, same email, you at gmail.com or you can message the show via Facebook. And we're on Twitter and Instagram so you can find us there. I know some of you reached out to us via the group mentioning that Spotify was down and not updated. We have we have fixed that problem, so I'm very glad to say that it's up and running and you can enjoy us on Spotify as well. Please share us if you haven't already subscribed. You can also comment on our episodes um, and or send us a message. Let, let me know how I'm doing. And then just a quick reminder, if you are interested in therapy work and you're interested in talk in, in finding out exactly what the Delta Society starts training towards. There are images, if you just Google Delta Society, 
you'll be able to pick up images of what they require. Uh, but it's 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 therapy work. It can do some research there. But it, don't be discouraged from the amount of training that you're going to need to work on because it's going to be so worth it. You know, get involved with your community, reach out, help people. And when they ask you why your dog's so well behaved, you'll be like, ask your dog guru. <laughs> anyway, that's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.